Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash, making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it, cause we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no Welcome to Escaping Society, episode 19. This is Upcycle Creations, part two. My name is Gumby. I'm Teresa. And we are in, I believe this is southwest Wyoming. Uh, We're getting there. We're kind of in central Wyoming right now. Yeah, just getting out of the beautiful Bighorn Mountains down into the hostile deserts of Wyoming where (laughs) everything bites or pricks or beats you down but uh we just took a pretty pretty nice dip in a i think a drainage canal or something (laughs) but we're in some shade at a little rest stop so we're making it um let's see so last time we left off we were starting to get into recycling and some of the problems with recycling um leading up to why we think upcycling is better um i talked a little bit about propaganda about that a lot of the recycling the premise is just to give you a feeling that things are under control um so let's talk more about what recycling really looks like and is it working um so i guess i'll pass that over to Teresa. oh well what does it really look like um i guess right now it looks like um volunteering basically you are able to drop off recycling at different centers you can recycle sometimes in your um, driveway leave it at the end of the curb Um, but really I feel like when municipalities are collecting recycling for them it's not about so much saving the earth it's about making some kind of profit uh, even if it's to break even um, to make themselves feel like they're doing something but I actually read this New York Times article it was in 2019 so just this year and it touched on a time an instance when New York City actually canceled their recycling program for glass and for plastic because it just wasn't profitable enough for the city Um, so that kind of goes to show you a little bit about what recycling really looks like and I can attest to watching people throw stuff that could be recycled, including myself. Um, I just threw out a bunch of steel cans that we had used for our dinner on the road here. And there wasn't a recycling container around, so goes in the trash. And steel is one of those things that I think that they can actually really recycle and, and get a good product out of it. But, oh well, it's not profitable enough for them to collect it, so they just aren't doing it. Yeah, and another thing we learned about was in Memphis, Tennessee, at an airport, um, they stopped recycling, but they left the recycling bins out. And so people would still think, like, I'm doing a good thing, I'm recycling, you know, I'm going through the trouble of sorting my trash, oh, here's the glass bottle, let's make sure that goes in the right container, and here's the tin can, let's make sure that goes in the right container. But they had stopped the recycling program. What was really happening is the trash people were picking it all up, putting it together, and it was going in the landfill. And their justification for that was that they wanted to keep the habits in place in case they resumed recycling at a later date. Um, Presumably so that they could make money on that recycling. Yeah. So as Teresa is pointing out, you know, recycling, we like to think that our benevolent government, at least some of us, I guess, like to think this, is taking charge of a problem, is fixing it. So we have recycling programs and, you know, all these... We're we're voting for the right politicians who care about the world, who care about the environment. But when you start looking into the facts, you find out that this is yet another profit-making venture. 
And when it's not a profit-making venture, nobody's willing to take a hit for the earth. If they can't make money off of it, screw it. Let's keep filling up those landfills. Um, we just gave you a couple of examples, but there are many more to be found when you start digging into it. <laughs> and sorry for all the noise. We're dealing with a lot of wind here, right? So we're trying to talk loud. Hope, hopefully this will, uh, <laughs> will be audible by the end of this. Yeah, and um, let's not forget, too, that just because you're recycling something, that isn't helping the environment that much because it's having to be transported, which is using gasoline. And in fact, uh, there has to be, let's just be real here, twice as many trucks on the road because most places that are picking up recycling have recycling trucks versus just using the trash trucks. Um, and they also, I mean, there's there are these factories. There's places that have to melt this stuff down. And there's pollution that's coming out of the stacks because stuff is being burned and melted. So I was one of those, I was definitely one of those people, still am kind of, that I really want to try and recycle. But looking behind that curtain and seeing what it's really about is just kind of... It's uglified it for me. I can't I can't think of it the same anymore. Yeah, and let's not forget the uh, you know all the details. Like the devil's in the details, as they say, and that is so true. You look at the recycling facilities. Now they're not built out of like abandoned houses and like old boards <laughs> they're finding in the woods. That would be recycling. When you go to a recycling facility, a new facility, it's made out of new stuff, more products that got made. And how much of, you know, down to the bolts, down to the, the tiny pieces of this facility is recycling in itself? As Teresa pointed out in the last podcast, um, much of recycling is downcycling. I'm not going to say it's not better than anything. I, I still recycle. If I see a blue container, I'm not going to throw my glass bottle in the trash. Um, I put it in the blue container because I think it is a small step better than just throwing it in the trash. But it is a very small step, um, and that is not what recycling's about. Think about the uniforms that get made for the people that work there. You know, they have their own recycling uniforms, their own little name tags. These are all resources. These are all things that still add to the destruction of the earth. Um, what we're calling recycling in this culture sounds really nice. It sounds like we're just taking things and then we don't have to take anymore. We turn it over. <laughs> we turn it over. We turn it over. Yeah. So it lasts for a long time. And that is an illusion that is encouraged. You know, you don't see that corrected. Um, anybody that thinks about that can kind of figure out on their own, well, that's probably not true because how would consumerism work if that's the case? <laughs> but uh, yeah, you never see commercials or, or politicians getting up on the platform calling out you know, the problems with our recycling program. Um, as long as we're still consumers, as long as we're still parasites just taking from the earth, um, yeah, we're, recycling is not, not the solution. And, and also, I mean, just recycling doesn't mean that it's stopping our behavior because I know plenty of people, including myself, that recycle but then go right back to the store and buy something that's in a plastic container. So it's just enabling our habits. And I think Gumby touched on that in the last episode too, but just to, to reiterate that point. Um, Gumby. Yeah, um, here's another fact that we found out. We, uh, we're going to talk about some projects that we found to do with plastic grocery bags. Turns out only like one in every 100 bags gets recycled. 200. In every 200 bags. So we're talking about the bags that actually get turned in. Um, we've actually caught employees taking those big bags full of uh, grocery bags from the recycling bin on their way to the dumpster and stopped them and said, do you mind if we have those? We have a project we're doing for summer camp or whatever. Um, but we've seen it with our own eyes. And the statistics back, back that observation up. Um, you think you're, you know, oh, I go through all the trouble of wrapping up all my bags. I put it in the proper container, and then the forces that be are taking care of it so we don't have to damage the earth so much, and my children will have a better future. It's just not happening. Um, it is – there's a big facade. It's a money-making machine, as we said, and they're exploiting our fear. Um, what we're being sold with recycling is a clear conscience. And I could go on and on about all the ways that this happens in our society from uh, welfare programs to taxes to all kinds of things that are made to pacify you, to make you feel like you're one of the good guys. 
A big part of the recycling program, the way I see it, is just to allow us, the citizens of this country, of the world, to feel like we can still feel like one of the good guys. We're the people who care. It's made to divert our attention from how much we're destroying the planet by the way we live because we can focus our attention on that we recycle, and that's what good people do. And even... I mean, I know that Gumby and I used to do this. Like, we would have plastic bags in the house, and we would reuse them as trash bags. But then that that doesn't mean it stops the behavior, necessarily, of a person going to the grocery store and getting more plastic bags. So that type of behavior isn't addressed by recycling. So let's then switch over to recycling for money because we talked about how municipalities, your town, your city, wherever you live, often have these recycling programs so they can make money. And Gumby and I explored some, uh, like picking up cans every time we take our dog for a walk. And there might be one can. Sometimes if we hadn't walked that path in a while, there might be like 10 cans. And it took us a long time to fill up like 12 bags of garbage bags just of crushed cans. And this is in North Carolina. We don't have those nice uh, facilities that you put the whole can in. Um, these are It's easier for us to crush them and take them to a scrap metal place. And out of all those bags and bags of cans, we made about 20 bucks. Now, that's something... And Gumby was going to try and explore that, maybe doing it a little bit more, like maybe once a week, just go hard and like pick up as many cans as you as you can. Ha. Um, but it it often doesn't pay out that much. But contrast that to what we found out in New York State. Um, I saw a guy in one of these reclaim centers where you bring your recyclables and you put them in these machines. And in New York, they have these cool things that it's like a it's like a tumbler. So you put your can or your bottle in and it reads the UPC code. And if it can't read the UPC code, guess what? It kicks it out. And most of the things that are supposed to be recycled are thrown in a garbage can that's right next to that machine. And furthermore, this guy said, and, and you can see it on a lot of the bottles that you buy and cans, it'll say like Maine, California, Hawaii, Oregon, New York, those states, um, they give you back like five cents or 10 cents. But that's actually something that you're charged, this guy told us in New York, that you're just getting your money back. So they're not making it a productive like for the consumer to make money off of recycling it's only the municipalities that are really getting any money out of it all right so we've talked about we started off by defining upcycling in our um, upcycle creations part one we talked about trash you know how we got to have this problem with landfills with all this trash and what to do with it um and then we began to talk about recycling in the last podcast, and now we're finishing up talking about what recycling is, how that's used to, tr to supposedly address the problem and some of the problems we see with it. So now... Can I add that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and just one other thing about recycling before we move on. Um, some things can't be recycled. I had read this years and years ago that plastic water bottles, just if people buy them in like a 24-pack of water bottles, for example, those water bottles, if you recycle them, they're not being made into new plastic water bottles. Now, they are working on this. There, there are companies that are trying to make it, I guess, profitable for them to do that. But the material that is used to make the flimsy kind of plastic water bottles, they can't remake another water bottle out of that. Um, something else that I was reading about recently, and I saw it on the news, was that they're going to start switching over, companies are going to start switching over to new pouch packaging. Um, there's a lot of kids stuff that comes in these kind of foily pouch things that you, you can't really recycle. Um, they, in fact, contaminate the recycling flow when they get to a, a mixed uh, recycling facility because the machines think that those flattened pouches are paper. And so then it goes into the paper batch and that's ruined. Um, so these pouches that are coming out, it's really just so that the companies can save money on shipping because they weigh less than, say, a glass jar or a can. Um, 
They're not recyclable yet. They're kind of made out of different layers. I can't remember all the materials that they're made out of, but I think one of the layers is like polyester or something, and then they have kind of a foil layer, and then they have a plastic layer so it doesn't allow air to get into it. And so these these new pouches, we're thinking, oh, it must be something good because they're, they're moving it over to pouches. They're not recyclable, and uh, it's only saving the company money. And, in fact, the products are less protected because now that they're in a pouch, they're more susceptible to being punctured. And I could only imagine what's going to end up in the dumpsters after more products are being switched over to pouches because we're able to find things that are in glass jars that surprisingly are thrown away, not broken. Dumpsters, which, by the way, are increasingly going, uh, becoming compactors yeah. that are not accessible to scavengers, which is another way that equates to more waste in the landfill. Um, so yeah, it did. yeah. That's all. That's really all I had to say as far as finishing up with the recycling was just the trend of. We think that we're doing all these good things, but, but, but behind the scene, it's really it all boils down to money. Yeah, and uh, I guess my kind of final word on recycling is we're not going to recycle our way out of this mess. Recycling is a joke. Um, I'm not telling anybody you should stop recycling. I, th- I do believe that it probably is a little bit better than just straight up going into the trash, but barely. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I thought I had more to say about that, but as usual, I had a brain fart. So mm. anyway, let's move on to upcycling. Oh. Now, why do we like upcycling, Teresa? <laughs> oh, um, let's see. Well, upcycling can help to reduce or eliminate additional energy and gas consumption. I talked about having to have twice as many trucks on the road to pick up the recycling, um, and you you wouldn't necessarily have to have those recycling facilities. And Gumby? Well, I mean, I think you just brought up a really important point, and I want to emphasize that a little bit more. Um, Recycling, there's so many things in our culture that encourage us to keep doing what we're doing. Keep being a consumer, keep living an extravagant lifestyle, keep thinking you're entitled to more than you need um, at the expense, even if your neighbors are not. You know, there's just a lot of things that are encouraged, and recycling is one more thing like, oh, no, no, you're one of the good guys. Trust me. You used a little blue can, right? See, that's what good guys do. (laughs) You know, you drove a Prius. Um, That's great. You know, let's not look into all the pollution that is involved in making a Prius, and God, let's not even get into the lithium mines that it takes to make the damn batteries that go in a Prius, because what you're being sold is the feeling that you're one of the good guys, and it's yet another simulation. It's another step away from the reality that we live in, which is why things keep getting worse. Um, Upcycling, I feel like, represents a deeper change. I'm not just putting something in a little blue bin and sending it away and just like wrapping that warm blanket of ignorance around myself that I don't have to know what happens to it after then. I'm sure people are taking care of it and doing wonderful things with it. (laughs) No, I'm changing my lifestyle when I upcycle. Instead of the trash getting sent away somewhere, I'm turning this trash into something useful. And as Teresa said, there's no facilities involved. There's no trucks to pick it up. There's no none of this stuff that's involved in recycling. There's no downcycling where a product gets like partially reused but then also creates a lot of pollution. It's purely a transition into another useful thing, which is a two-part purely good thing. One is that it is indeed getting recycled. It's true recycling. You're taking something and the whole thing is getting to used as something else. The other part is you don't have to buy that thing. Um, you know, Teresa and I, we just used a hobo stove to cook our lunch. Uh, we didn't, that's a little bit less of a Coleman canister we'd have to use. You know, if we bought the, you know, all the stuff that would be the alternative, that's a tomato can and a coat hanger. To make Um, the hobo stove. Yeah, to make the hobo stove. So, I feel like it's a deeper change in lifestyle. It's not a facade. It's not like, oh, we get to feel like we're one of the good guys. No, we're actually doing something. We're changing our lifestyle. So that's one of the things I love about it, upcycling as opposed to recycling. Now, what about the times, what about those Pinterest projects that are like so trendy nowadays to take plastic spoons and make a chandelier or like take, I don't know, I don't know. There's just so many stupid project things. I call them stupid because... It seems like they 
require you to get at least a glue gun or some sort of sharp scissors or cutting device. It's like you have to go out and buy something to make something out of this garbage. Yeah, when I first heard the word upcycling, I went to the library and uh, just any title that had upcycling in it, I got a book on it. And what I ran into over and over was this Oprah-approved crap. Um, (laughs) These are the people that Oprah – you know, has on her show, the artist, the new trendy furniture person that has this chic new thing that's made from pallets. And, you know, then he went to Home Depot and got a certain stain to make it look like it's been (laughs) blown in the ocean wind and just faded just the right amount. I think my parents did that project. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not saying it looks, it doesn't look cool. And I'm not saying I'm against using upcycling for pure art, just for pure, like, you know, not necessarily something practical, but just something that looks good. What I'm against is that it got co-opted. This beautiful idea of how to take stuff that's been discarded and use it got co-opted by another money-making machine. These fucking artists, these people (laughs) that are like, oh, well, you know, let's make it, let's, you know, attach some new name to it and you know, buy this stain, buy this glue, buy these screws, and then you can put it together and make this wonderful thing. And so you're back into not truly upcycling. You're taking products, you're upcycling one thing, and then buying more crap that in turn does not get recycled or upcycled. So I don't know. For me, upcycling is not just a little artsy Oprah-style thing. It's a discipline. It's a way to try to lessen my impact on the earth. And I feel proud of that more than making this thing that's going to show up in a magazine. I was really disgusted when I got done with the books that I leafed through because I couldn't find one on what I wanted, which was <laughs> practical upcycling stuff, not stuff that you're meant to like turn around and sell for triple the the price that, you know, like maybe you make a chair out of something that wasn't parts of a chair before and then you turn around and now it's this unique artsy thing so you can sell it for like $2,000. I wasn't interested in that crap. And that's what's being shown if you look for upcycling. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing you run into. Um, because once again, as soon as there's an idea out there, especially one that might threaten our culture, a revolutionary idea that could change things, damn if the money-making machines don't jump in there and co-opt it so freaking quick. Um, I was really careful when I was choosing projects for the upcycle camp with the kids this summer because I didn't want them to do all these cutesy projects that are – in my opinion, kind of lame, but also require me as a teacher to go out and buy supplies for them. So I specifically chose projects that, number one, we could find the materials for, whether it was in a dumpster, a recycling bin, or just asking around. Like, I asked for socks, and God, people have a lot of socks laying around. It's just like their kids outgrow them and they don't know what to do with them, so they just, like, put them in a box and hope that someday they'll come across a project to do with them. And then I asked for them and because I came up with a project to do with them. And meanwhile, the teacher that was next to us with her group of kids went over budget, which I believe was a hundred dollars buying supplies for her kids to do projects. And the kids were like rebelling because they were so bored and unhappy with the camp. (laughs) Yeah. It was like a prison riot over there. They were like (laughs) trying to flush rolls of toilet paper down and yeah, I thought somebody was going to get shanked over there if they didn't, they didn't calm that <laughs> shit down. Friendship bracelet. <laughs> and these were the the younger kids, too. It oh, was man. it was hilarious. But, uh, yeah, Teresa, you want to talk a little bit more about – we're talking about products, begetting more products. And I think you know a lot more about this stuff than I do. Well, yeah, I mean there's a lot of things that can be meant by saying products beget more products. I don't exactly remember what I meant when I wrote that except I think about how – just like I, as I was mentioning before, oh, let's do this project. Oh, shoot, I need to go get... Yeah, I think that's what you meant, getting the glue. Right. Getting... And then so there are these companies, I'm not exactly sure how this ties in, but there are these companies that are trying to use slash co-opt the upcycling trend and especially making clothing. So they're taking plastic... Let's see, I had it written down somewhere else. Um Oh, shoot. They're like plastic bags, different different materials, and they're making backpacks with them, um, shower curtains, as well as clothing. And the clothing, I guess they somehow take the plastic and make it into a fiber uh, that's weavable, not just plarn. Like we've, we've 
played with the idea of using Flarn to make stuff, but this is actually like a mass-produced, probably made-in-China thing that they're they're having to like melt down the plastic and turn it into like a thin, thin thread. And then they're selling these clothes for a lot of money, which means it's not accessible to a lot of people. And then those that may be able to afford it, why are they going to buy something that's kind of made from garbage? Yeah, I'd be skeptical anytime there there gets to be a logo or a corporation involved. Um, for one thing, why not learn to do it yourself? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's part of the whole discipline, part of the whole beauty of it is that you don't need other people to wipe your ass for you. You can weave, you can make plarn, you can make plastic bag mats, you can do this stuff. And if you don't have the time, maybe you're too busy making money. So think about it. This actually is one of those things that enables you not to need so much money. Um, it's a beautiful, what I would say is a, I always get confused with that positive feedback, negative feedback loop, but it helps both ends. More time equals more time to make stuff that you don't need to buy, so you don't need the time to work. Um, so you get more time Yeah. to do stuff. Yeah, it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing, but not really. <laughs> anyway, moving along. And and also remembering that those clothing companies, they're making it a trend. They're co-opting the upcycle movement. And it's, again, making it some, somehow okay to keep buying our 24 packs of bottled water, our bags of whatever, this or that, and plastic packaging for this or that. It's not helping with our change in behavior. It's kind of actually making it seem like, oh, it's okay. They make clothes out of this. Or they, you know, shred this up and they put it in couches or whatever the hell they do with our trash nowadays. I don't know. Oh, they make it into um, a type of durable wood for decking, like for making decks. They add plastic into the wood pulp and it's supposed to help it. But then, um, excuse me, what happens when that deck falls apart and then there's just like plastic rotting or not rotting on top of the earth because the wood rots away and the plastic takes hundreds upon hundreds of years if it does anything at all. Oh, did you want to talk about this though? The scam? You actually had that written down. I'm not quite sure everything you meant by that. Okay. Dang it. Okay, so we watched this documentary. I mentioned it in the the first part of this upcycling. It's called Unacceptable Levels. And the guy, he's like a father of two or something like that, and he just, he's kind of fed up. He's sick of just taking all this information that we're like spoon-fed and just being okay with it. So he started to uncover a little bit of how... uh, many different industries, they profit off of selling garbage. And it's garbage in the sense that they're not even supposed to dispose of it anywhere. So what do we do? We have really smart people that work for these really evil companies. And they're selling things like biosolids. What is a biosolid? Isn't that like, isn't that like shit? So they're selling the sludge that they can't dispose of it. There's companies, you know, like um, wastewater treatment and stuff like that. They're taking the... And they put a pretty name on it, so biosolids was a marketing gimmick. Yeah, and then they put it in these trucks and they ship it all around to farmers to spread on their crops. Now, I'm not saying those are food crops because, God, we've been traveling so much and everywhere they can, they're growing corn, and I'm I'm pretty sure it's not all for human consumption if consumption at all, I think it's for ethanol. And if you don't travel with your windows down, I don't know if you realize how much <laughs> of this country smells like shit. Like when people say the country's going to shit, I don't know if they meant it literally, but it's true. I mean, <laughs> it blows my mind that we've been through. I've lost count how many states that at least half the state literally smelled like shit. Mm. And another type of uh, scam, if you will, that I guess we put it in upcycling because this is a way that the company finds a place to put their garbage um, and they, they're selling it like they're they were going to be fined if they uh, if they released it into the environment but they repackaged it into something pretty like Gumby said and they sell it 
instead of just being fined for it. So the other one that we had written down uh, from the Unacceptable Levels documentary was fertilizer. Yeah, fertilizer. So one of the um, un- unfortunate uh, byproducts, I guess, is a type of fluoride. And it's not the sodium fluoride that dentists recommend for strengthening your teeth for whatever that's worth. But it's like a really detrimental fluoride. It was a radioactive byproduct, isn't I that? Know. I don't know what it was. I can't remember the documentary. I should have Yeah, like double-check that if you're listening to this and you're curious. But I believe it was actually a radioactive byproduct that they could not figure out what the hell to do with it because – um, they weren't allowed to put it in the water. They weren't allowed to bury it in the ground. So what do we do with this crap? Well, they weren't they weren't allowed to leach it into a river. So they sold it to municipalities to add to our water supply. Mm-hmm. And if you ask, this was even brought up in the documentary. If you ask your dentist, like, what type of fluoride is in the water in our city or town? They'll tell you, oh, it's the you know it's the same thing that we're saying is good for you. It's a sodium fluoride. But in this documentary, they're saying that's not actually the case at all. This stuff is really bad, and we're just guzzling it down. Or we're going to the store and buying bottles of water from God knows where they get it. Which now they're finding – they're doing studies and finding all these little plastic particles that are in these bottles of water. So we're ingesting not only whatever the hell the plastic does to us – by being around it, the off-gassing and everything, but we're actually eating it. These little particles of plastic are in those bottles of water. My favorite water is from a spring in the mountains, and I love it there. And that's the shit we're taught to fear. Yes. Oh, yeah. It doesn't. This particular spring doesn't have a sign up that says not suitable for human consumption, but there are other springs along the Blue Ridge Parkway that do have that sign. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, we're at the top of the mountains and that's already polluted or is it just a fear tactic? And moving on. (laughs) So I had mentioned um, in the last podcast that my grandma was a a huge influence on a lot of the things that I do. I'm looking at our dishes that are drying on the sidewalk at this little rest area place. And um, I use... I mentioned before, like, you know, the bags that the onions come in or sometimes other things, and it's like a a plastic netting. Well, we retrieved, we must have retrieved something out of the dumpster that had that, and I cut it into a a little scrubby thing to wash the dishes. And my grandma used to do that. She also used to use that same plastic netting for the bits of bar soap because she didn't use pump soap. Um, she would take the little bits of bar soap that would fall out of your hand down the sink drain and she would put it in that plastic netting, tie it up, and voila, your soap is not going to go down the drain and you have a little bit of exfoliating action um, from the the bag. And uh, let's see, I guess one of the main things that was an influence to me was just seeing how back in my grandma's time, like during the Great Depression, how many ideas came up just from reusing scraps of vegetables, which, you know, we still can do that today, to um, wetting a, a sheet and putting it over the door. <laughs> well, not wetting the sheet, like I peeing. was wetting a sheet a long time ago. <laughs> Nobody gave wetting me any props for it. it. with clean water oh. and then allowing the evaporation effects, like if you hang the, the sheet in a doorway with, you know, the door open, no air conditioning, or in a window or something, and then allowing that coolness that's evaporating off of the sheet to enter your house and cool your house off. Yeah, apparently this is something still done in Africa by, like, people, especially from other countries that go over there for whatever reason. They'll wrap themselves in a wet sheet, and that'll help them uh, survive the hot nights. So I've been meaning to experiment more with that. Did you have anything else you want to say about your grandma? Um, and, and not even just necessarily my grandma, but that generation. I would suggest, because this is what I, this is the type of stuff I wanted to bring to the kids and it was kind of difficult I'm not sure if I really achieved that goal but look up some stuff about the Great Depression online or get a book um, and see what kind of ideas came up now some of them maybe aren't that practical in your life but maybe they are and they might just be something that can save you money. Like instead of buying sponges all the time that are, in my opinion, really gross, you can have this plastic um, netting that you can find in the dumpsters pretty much anywhere, anytime, and you could use that. And I think it's cleaner. And if it gets thrown out eventually, just like a sponge would, it's not adding to 
the garbage pile. It's It was from the garbage, and we're just upcycling it into something more useful. That's all I have to say about that. Okay, and we're going to try to wrap up this upcycling with giving you some ideas for some useful projects. Um, and again, let me say that I'm not against art per se. I'm against buying more products <laughs> to screw up such a beautiful idea as upcycling. So I'm really attracted to really useful, practical stuff. Um, I'm not much of an artist, uh, at least the way I look at it. I'm just I like stuff that helps me. Uh, do the things I want to accomplish. Now, I feel kind of bad bringing this up after Teresa was railing against these companies that are co-opting like plastic clothing and everything, but this is, can also be a way to make a little bit of money on the road. I have yet to do it, but I've made a few things with some of these upcycling projects that uh, next time we're in town, I'm going to try to put it on Craigslist and try to sell it because I'm hoping it will sell and I'm hoping it's unique enough um, and put a little cash in my pocket so I can get a little bit further down the road. So that's one reason. And another thing is the survival value. Um, I know a lot of people that talk about like the shit hitting the fan and society collapsing and like the survival skills. And a big part of that to me is exactly what we're talking about, upcycling. The ability to look at things that other people would not see a use for and you have the imagination, the creativity, and the experience. Don't wait to try this stuff. Experiment with it now to know that, oh, you know, you guys miss this, but I could make a stove. I could make clothing. I could make something to keep me warm on this night when other people might die of hypothermia. Um, that is upcycling. It is a tremendous survival skill, and it will be the survival skill when the society finally collapses because there's going to be a whole lot of crap left behind for <laughs> at least a generation. It's everywhere already. Yeah, it's not going to be about bushcraft and wilderness survival. It's going to be crazy out there. We've depleted the earth like – I mean, that's our whole problem. We're sucking it dry. There will be trash everywhere. And those who have the eyes to see how to turn trash into treasure, they're going to have a huge advantage. So, all right, let me start with one project I've got on this list, and that's the hobo stove I keep mentioning. Actually, the first time I ran into a hobo stove was doing a wilderness walkabout expedition in the deserts of eastern Washington with Wilderness Awareness School. And we didn't have much firewood out there. We were trying to make a minimal impact. So the guy um, that was running the program carried this hobo stove, this coffee can hobo stove. And I thought it was pretty cool, but I didn't really fall in love with it at the time. It just seemed like, oh, here's another way to do it. When I went home and made my own, that's when I fell in love with it. That's when I realized the true beauty of it, that I could go to a park that I couldn't get away with making a campfire bring out this hobo stove and make a little contained fire with just the little nubs of wood around and have enough fire to cook a whole meal in that hobo stove. Um, so I had that for quite a while when I was living out of my car by myself. And on a backpacking trip that Teresa and I took together, I leaned against something and bent it, just <laughs> kind of destroyed it. So I made another one. Teresa and I were walking our dog around a mall and I wasn't even setting out to make a hobo stove. but The just outside of the mall. The outside of the mall, yeah. And I saw a tomato can, and then the next dumpster over, I saw um, coat hangers. I was like, wow, this is everything I need to make a hobo stove, one of those big <laughs> tomato cans. So I did, and we have a video of that, so I'm not going to spend too much time talking about how it's made. Check out the video. Um, seeing the demonstration on our YouTube channel is going to go much further than anything I could say about it. Mm -hmm. And we use it almost every day. Um, it is a hugely useful thing makes wood stretch further. Um, it also radiates more heat. Like on a cold day, you've got this can. I don't know that radiates more heat than a big campfire. But given the little bit of wood that's in there, yeah. I think you get more bang for your buck. Yeah. Like we're in a pretty much desert environment right now. There's not a whole lot of trees and branches and twigs around. So we're just picking up, like, Gumby got some dried grass. I picked up some tiny little bits of, I guess it's like dead sage bush or something sagebrush and that was enough to cook our lunch for today yep and another stove that we don't use as much but we're using quite a bit for a while was a buddy burner we had the kids make these during our upcycle creations camp they loved it yep and i saw this idea in a prepper book um i started queuing into even though i don't consider myself a prepper um a lot of the books that are out that are about this subject have a lot of cool tips so this buddy burner is a little tuna fish can, and once you start figuring out how it works, you know, you could use a cat food can, anything, you know, around that this size. size. Yeah. 
and you cut cardboard. If you look at cardboard, it's made of corrugated cardboard. It's got these tubes in it. So depending on how you hold the cardboard, the tubes might go horizontal or vertical. So cut strips of it where they're going vertical, where the tubes go from up to down. Mm -hmm. And cut strips of it that are going to be just barely shorter than the can. So if I have a tuna fish can, you know, the cardboard will be strips that are just a little bit short of the can so it doesn't protrude over the edge of the can. And then you start spiraling it in as tight as you can, as much as you can fit in there. Um, and then you can melt wax. The best thing by far that we found is candles. We find those in the dumpster all the time. We had a surplus of candles just grabbing the ones we kept finding in the dumpster. But you can cut off the edges that are kind of getting in the way of your flame anyway without destroying the whole camel, can, candle if you want to. Put it in a can. Put the can in a pan of water. That keeps the, the can from burning. So you got your little your little uh, pan or pot. It's got a little bit of water in there, an inch or two. You put your can in there with the wax and you melt it. And as soon as it's melted into liquid, you pour it into your buddy burner where the cardboard yep. is, is packed in there as tight as you can. Let it cool, let it harden, and then you just light it. You got to hold a lighter to it for, I don't know, a few seconds. You know, it takes a, you know, once it gets lit, but then it stays lit and it cooks really well. You just find a couple of bricks to balance your pot or whatever you want to cook on it. And it works sort of like a little sterno stove. Um, I love those things. We had one fail on us one time. We started taking them for our backpacking trips because they're smaller than the hobo stove. And one time one just wouldn't light. And I still don't know what happened. I looked up a little bit of information. It's also, I don't, I don't know if they still do it, but it's also a Boy Scout project. And um, they said that occasionally you'll need to add more wax. So just keep that in mind. If you make one of these and it's like, oh, damn it. It stopped working, and I'm going to throw it out and start over. Try to add more wax before you toss it. And an alternative, if you can't find candle wax, is crayons. Crayons do not work as well as candle wax. We experimented with this at camp, but they do work. It takes a long time to melt them compared to candle wax, and uh, but they do light, and they cook. Um, and they did seem to go out faster than the candle wax one. So if you just can't find candle wax, a crayon will work. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and the kids had a great time making these. You can find all these things you need to make them really easily. I could walk around any city street and easily in a couple hours find the, the stuff I need to make a buddy burner. I've even found candles just on the lakeside where there's a garbage can and people have just come and dropped off their household garbage, I guess. And it wasn't around any type of holiday like Christmas. It, there were just like candles randomly there. And we may make a video. We don't have one yet of the buddy burner. Something we did just put a video out is plastic bag weaving. And this is something Teresa watched a YouTube video about and taught me. She was busy with camp, so she started her project and didn't get to finish it. But I really took off with this. I love plastic bag weaving. So, you know, as we're traveling, I stop in any grocery store I see and go through their plastic bag bin. And Every grocery store. <laughs> and separate the colors. So I got this great big white uh, trash bag that's full of like a bag of white bags, a gray bag of gray bags, a red bag of red bags when I'm lucky. And what we learned from the video was that you can make like a sleeping pad that, you know, they said you could give it to homeless people. And that's also, um, I believe, I'm not a Girl Scout, but I think that's also a Girl Scout project. Uh, thanks. That makes me feel very manly. But anyway, I love the Girl Scout project. Um, but I started using my imagination and I've got like a blanket that I'm making. I've got a meditation pad and a meditation cushion. Like when I say cushion, I mean a big pillow, a gray pillow filled with white plastic bags. Um, I'm making a poncho. I'm making a sleeping bag. I'm making, God, what else am I making? I don't even remember what all, but the imagination's a limit once you start realizing how this is done, the basic technique, which is super simple. Um, again, watch our video on our YouTube channel. Did you say your backpack? Backpack, yeah, making a backpack with it. You know, so it's something that is really fun to do. And again, where other people would just see like, damn, plastic bags, what do we do with these? You know, they're not getting recycled well. You can be really excited about finding them and making super useful stuff. They're soft. They're insulating. They're almost too freaking hot. Um, so, yeah. Is that a forest fire over there? They're great. Yeah, we're in Wyoming. We're looking at the smoke on the horizon. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know. I haven't There's seen enough 10, forest There's 10,000 acres of trees on fire 
near Cody, Wyoming. We're not near Cody, Wyoming, but there's something happening fairly near us, and it's really windy and dry. And I would say one funny thing we ran into with the plastic bags is um, every state has different stores that specialize in different colors. So I started making projects with blue plastic bags in North Carolina because they're common as dirt. They're everywhere. And turns out that that's not a common color all around the country. And no sooner do I find the common color of that state and start a new project than we travel to another state, and I can't find that damn color. So just keep that in mind if you're traveling like we are. Um, the, my solution for that has been to start about six projects. So if I can't find the color to finish one, hopefully I'll find the colors to work on another one. And that keeps me busy because, like I said, I really enjoy the process. And our, our van is currently full to the brim of plastic bags. Which is another reason I'm going to experiment trying to sell these things, just to get them out of the van and turn them into something useful. And, and I, I'm not sure if I said this in the previous podcast, but for God's sakes... Don't get new plastic bags. The lady that made the video I saw, sweet older lady, and I don't know if she actually did, but someone commented on the YouTube video she made and they were like, oh, way to go getting brand new plastic bags from the store. We do not get new bags. We go to the recycling bin, which may or may not be recycled. They may be just thrown into the garbage. And if you need to flatten them out, they're pretty easy to flatten out, and you don't need to, like, iron them or anything. They don't have to be, like, crease-free. But in her video, I think she might have used some new plastic bags, which was a shame because that's not what upcycling is about. And another project um, that there's this guy, I think he calls himself the Urban Abo. Abo is an aborigine. Mm -hmm. Um, This black guy and I think, Wisconsin. But he's got so many cool projects that I've learned from him. And one is the Wadaji and Zori. Um, these are two different types of, a, of Japanese sandals. Um, and depending on what you find, you could make plastic ones with, say, and we've done this with plastic baling twine that the landscapers leave laying around, you know, whenever they do groundskeeping, lay out pine straw. You can get horse baling twine. Um, I love the natural stuff, which is getting harder to find, at least in North Carolina. But anything that you can make a rope out of, I'm even considering how to make this out of plastic grocery bags. Um, But yeah, um, check out the video. Maybe we'll do a video on this too. But it's a really simple way to make a sandal. And I love this sandal because the Wadaji, your toes actually touch the ground. It just protects your feet. So if you like to go barefoot like I do, um, God, it's so nice just to put on some shoes and still feel that contact with the warm earth. Uh, Yeah, so... Milk crate shelves. This is something we did in our van. Anytime I find zip ties, there's little zip ties, and I just found one in a parking lot yesterday. If you keep your eyes open around camp areas, around even around dumpsters, just always pick them up when you see them. And I got six milk crates of different colors. Again, we have this in a video too, so check out our YouTube channel. Um, and I just used the zip ties to put them together and made some shelves for the van, and we use those for all our Sherlock dog stuff, my clothes, our cooking stuff. Um, our cooking stuff already said cooking stuff. You just said it. Yeah, yeah. But actually, I was making a distinction there because we have our cookware in one, and then we have like our stoves and stuff in another. Oh. And then um, the bottom shelves we use as a bookshelf, and my toolbox is crammed in there, and it kind of holds the thing a little more sturdy. Mm-hmm. So that's another example. You know, these milk crates that are just sitting outside behind a store that are maybe getting recycled. I don't know what the hell they do with them, but I know what I did with them, and I'm making some really good use out of them. Bailing twine net. This is, again, something we have in one of our videos. So if you look at the van life videos, you know, some of them are about our experience living out of a van. You'll see our little net that I made. Um, Now, I could find something that's kind of netting material and make, like, a hanging basket type of thing by tying it to the what I call the oh shit handles in the van but I decided I'd go ahead and make the net I'd tie it because by learning the skill and again I used bailing twine from landscaping but you could use any kind of rope shoelaces I've got some shoelaces that I found woven in there Um, I love the eclectic just randomness of that Um, I could have made it look neater but like I said I love that style of just like I'm grabbing stuff and using it and by learning how to make a net I know how to make a fish trap. I know how to make a hammock. I can apply that skill to all kinds of stuff. So there's a lot of room in upcycling. If I had found, like, say, 
I don't know, some other type of thing that would work as a net, I'd still be upcycling. I'd still be grabbing something that was thrown away and using it. But the type of upcycling I chose opens a lot more doors for me. Mm -hmm. So I really like the net we have in the van. Um, Let me look at my list here. Sheet hammock. This is something I learned from a wilderness survival teacher many years ago. This guy was from Texas. Uh, I think he runs a school called Practical Primitive in Pennsylvania. His name's Eddie, oh, and the last name has something to do with Star, I can't remember. Um, but he, I took a class with him one time, and it was about bug out bags, and I didn't realize it was a part two class. And so I showed up, and I didn't have any of the stuff I needed to work on the stuff that he was talking about. And I think he felt bad for me, so he's like, well, let me show you something else. And he showed me this way of folding a sheet or a tarp into a hammock. And I have been using that exclusively. Like I always kind of feel proud of myself when I'm bringing out my old sheet and tying up my hammock and everybody's got their Eno hammocks, you know, that they bought somewhere because I upcycled. I found something that was like used for one thing and then I applied it to something else. And to me, it gives me a greater autonomy, a greater independence and freedom. And plus the sheet is just so comfortable. I use it in the winter. There's all kinds of little troubleshooting you can do of like how you hang it, piling leaves here or there to make it warmer. Um, There's a lot of skill involved in this. But to learn the basic uh, way to tie it up and hang it, pretty simple. Maybe we'll do a video on this too. Um, One thing I'll say is high thread count. Not every sheet works. I had a blue sheet that I had for a long time, years, and then it broke. And Teresa and I decided we'd just get some sheets and, like, maybe make some more hammocks. And we must have fallen through, like, (laughs) four sheets in a row. Oh, my God. And finally we found Uh. one with a high thread count, and it worked. So Good times. Yeah. And there's many ways to make a hammock, and I want to explore more of that. There was a project that I did for the upcycle camp with the kids, and it was a bottle holder made from old socks. I was asking for socks. I told you about that before. There's a sock sitting like five feet away from me on the ground. You just see socks everywhere. Like, how does that happen? Um, and I looked up how to do it. I think I could have made it a little simpler, but you basically, you can, I think you can do it with one sock. The key is to make a strap that's long enough that you can loop over the neck of the bottle on both sides. So you've got a strap on one side, a strap on the other. Maybe <laughs> you got a strap on. Uh, you, uh, I have the way I made mine is a little bit more complicated. Maybe we could do a video, a short video on that. But long story short, haha, <laughs> um, you need a sock and some string, some cordage of whatever kind. You could use that plastic veiling twine that we mentioned. You could use, um, I had a access to a bunch of shoelaces so I think a lot of the kids used that or you could just maybe take like an old t-shirt and braid the fabric so that it's strong enough like a pleated braid um, and comfortable enough for a strap but yeah I, I found that to be really helpful because I hate having to carry the bottle of water but if I hate carrying the bottle of water I don't bring it with me on my hiking or walking so the uh, the sock bottle holder is really helpful for that All right, and moving on from Teresa's strap-ons and sock puppets, (laughs) um, another thing that, like, I used to have a record collection, and we had a trailer, and sometimes, you know, I'd find some really crappy records, and I was wondering, like, what can I do with these records? And uh, you you can, like, melt them, like, put them in an oven, and just, like... Watch them really close because when they start to melt, they start melting fast. And you take them out and you got to shape them because then they're going to harden up fast. Um, I saw projects where you could make like a wine bottle holder and like little shelves like for decorations on your wall. I didn't do any of that, but I did, did make bookends. So that's one thing you can do with old records is just melt them, kind of fold the bottom, you know, like shape them and then let them cool. And they're great bookends. And finally um, – Just three things that aren't fancy, aren't really like, I don't know, projects per se, like the rest of them, but just some ideas of like thinking like an upcycler. One is glass bottles. Um, I love The Gods Must Be Crazy. To me, this was... That movie. Yeah, The Gods Must Be Crazy, the movie, (laughs) as opposed to what? (laughs) I don't know. I was just making sure they knew it was a movie. Okay. Um, 
But yeah, that was upcycling. You know, this guy, this pilot throws out a Coke bottle and it lands in this tribe of Bushmen. And so, you know, like I said, it's the same mindset, wilderness survival and upcycling. So they immediately start thinking of all the uses they can use for this thing. And they've got like, I mean, they just keep finding more and more uses for it. Um, So start thinking like that Bushman, you know, that's like you've never seen a glass bottle before. Imagine that you live out in the middle of the wilderness and there's no man-made materials around. It's just what you have out there. If you find this rare glass bottle, you know, we just, you know, turn our lips up at it like, ah, litter. Think about what else it could be. You can purify water with that. That's not an easy thing to do with natural material. It takes some time. And this is time that when you're out there thinking about shelter, water, fire, food, you want to devote to a lot of other things. So if you find a shortcut with a glass bottle, fill it all the way up with water, put it on your fire, boil it, you got safe drinking water. Um, Let's see. Yeah, and just all the different things, like in The Gods Must Be Crazy. You know, they're using it as a little hammer to crush nuts. They're using it to kind of roll out a hide as they're stretching a hide. Um, of course, a musical instrument. I love blowing on the top of them and making that a whoo. So that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Yeah, that was without a glass bottle. I have skills. <laughs> um, but yeah, glass bottles, tin cans, like soda cans. Again, you can boil water on, in them on a fire. You can make soup. You can cut off the top, and you've got a little pot. Mm-hmm. You know, make soup, make a beverage, make coffee if you've got the ingredients. I tried to make brownies in a Dutch oven using cans as a like little holder because I didn't want to mess up the Dutch oven, and it probably would have worked except I left them in there way too long. But I'm just saying, if you need something to like form, uh, like a muffin or bread, they could potentially work. I've seen people flatten them out in a certain way, like they cut it a certain way and make shingles out of soda cans. I've always wanted to experiment more with that. I thought that was awesome. Um, I've like flattened them out like top to bottom, you know, not like laying them on the side, but top to bottom where you kind of scrunch them and use them as a handhold for a bow drill fire set um, to get a fire out in the woods. Um, Gosh. We tried to use a tab for your, like the tab of the can to, um, no, for my hat. Your yeah. Hat yeah, it didn't work too great, but it was a good idea to yeah. try. Um, but yeah, upcycling, you know, just looking at a soda can and realizing, like, just because it's empty of the soda doesn't mean it's devoid of use. And another thing that we have found, um, a strange number of times is a whole roll of trash bags. <laughs> um, I feel like we found that several times, like laying on the side of the road, and it's just like, wow, here's a whole roll of trash bags. Yeah. You can line your sleeping, your, your backpack with that, make it waterproof. You can put it over your backpack as a rain fly. You can put it over yourself as a rain poncho. Teresa, you want to talk about that time that we were uh, hitchhiking and then had to take the bus into New Jersey? Um, this this train station in Trenton, New Jersey, it was pouring down rain. It's about 3.30 in the morning, and we're only allowed to be there for two hours, so we just have to get out. And I put a bag over myself, punching holes, of course, in it for my head and my arms. Um, I put one over my backpack and punched holes through the bag for the, the straps to come through. And I think we might have put our stuff, before I put it over the backpack, we put our stuff inside a uh, plastic bag and then put that plastic bag in the pack and, and this we, we took our shoes off so we uh, wouldn't get our, our shoes wet <laughs> so here we are barefoot wrapped in plastic like but big black trash bags <laughs> and we're getting kicked out of this this uh, train station and this guy comes up and says y'all homeless ain't you <laughs> and i was like no i mean the world is our home we, we like to consider everywhere we go as our home and he said yeah y'all homeless <laughs> <laughs> so we go out and it's freaking pouring rain but we have to leave because the guy's kicking us out but uh luckily you know the rain starts letting up and we take our trash bag you know our whole like setup off and start to get some sleep under a bridge and then the wind picks up and it's icy cold and anyway uh but our stuff stayed dry yeah yeah it worked really good so (laughs) trash bags are a great thing to have you can think of all kinds of uses for a trash bag i've cut them open before and used them as a uh sleeping bag not a sleeping bag liner a uh, sleeping pad what do you call that ground mat Mm -hmm. yeah just to keep me off the ground and put my my sleepwear when i'm camping before Mm -hmm. and it, it helps um so 
I guess that's about all I have to say for upcycling. We'll try to make videos on a lot of this stuff, but even if we don't, the videos are already out there. So just start, you know, putting in some of those keywords and seeing what you can find. So you want to start taking us out with some final thoughts, Teresa? Uh, yeah, in recent years, there's been a lot of talk about banning plastic bags, plastic straws, um, plastic bottles. That's a new one that just uh, my grandma actually told me about, my grandma that's still alive. Um, she said, oh, yeah, I think they're banning plastic bo water bottles at airports, at least at certain airports. And I was like, that is so strange, so I had to look into it. And what I discovered was that, indeed, they are banning plastic bottles in the airline industry. I guess it's going to take a while for the ban to be 100%. But they're still going to have for sale sodas and juices and whatever else in plastic bottles. And, by the way, they'll offer water bottled in expensive stainless steel or glass for your purchase. So there you have it. Instead of having a $5 plastic bottle of water at the airport. Did you say plastic? Plastic bottle of water at the airport. Um, your plastic bottle of water will now be probably three or three times as much. I don't know. It's the airport. It's crazy. Um, but I just wondered... You know, with those bands, is that enough? I've even seen, like, at Starbucks, well, we don't have plastic straws, but you can purchase this reusable plastic straw. But it's <laughs> – the reusable plastic straw is wrapped in a plastic wrapper, and it's still made of plastic. And, I mean, I guess it's going to cut down, but I, I mean – there are too many people in this world, you guys. Get out of your fucking liberal bubble. Like, there are people that are still getting plastic straws, plastic bags, etc. And we're not immune to that as well as we're traveling. I, Before I was living in a van, um, I had my collection of plastic everything that I kept with me in my car. That way I could turn it down if I was presented with the uh, the need to have another one. I could just say, oh, no, I already have one. But even now, it's really hard, and I don't think those bans are going to take. I think some people are going to do something, but I don't think it's enough. Yeah, and I think you can, you know, help add some class and some, uh, what would I say, some uh, clout to the, the upcycling movement by using the word plastic a little plastic, bit more. Plastic, yes, plastic. Yes. Oh, uh, pardon me, you don't use plastic? Yes. Um, but... In line with what Teresa's saying, we cannot ignore the big picture anymore. You know, these little, like, banning plastic straws. Give me a fucking break. <laughs> like, what is that? You know, we can't ignore the big picture. And the big picture is it's the whole way we live. We keep trying to find ways to skirt this truth, and it's bullshit. There's a reason why it doesn't work. It's because it's stupid. <laughs> It doesn't matter if you have, like, a battery-powered car as opposed to an SUV. Well, I don't want to say it completely doesn't matter, but both are destroying the world. <laughs> Instead of asking yourself, how can I destroy the world a little slower, why is nobody asking themselves, how can we not destroy the world? I, it's not good enough for me to, to have this conversation about, like, green energy versus, you know, a, a coal economy or oil economy. Whether it's solar panels that are made in factories that are, you know, allowing us to keep living the way we're living. That's the problem. It's the way we live. So let upcycling be a tool to help you move away from that. It's an immediate freedom tool. There's a lot of bushcraft tools that are very difficult to master, very difficult to use, because even in the, the old days, 300 years ago, or olden days, as Teresa likes to say. Olden times. Olden times. So 300 years ago... These were skills that took a lot of luck and mastery, and we have wiped out, we've decimated the environment so that we don't have anywhere near the resources they had 300 years ago. But these upcycling projects, you can start working on one today, and by the end of today, have some confidence in it. Know how to keep yourself warm. This is a step towards freedom. This is a step towards addressing that big picture about the way you live. It's not a facade. It's not a simulation. It's not some way to get another asshole rich. Um, to me, that's part of that big picture. And I think, Teresa, you actually wrote this about, like, don't ignore the big picture. Is there something else you had in mind when you said that? Um, I think you 
you brought the energy to it. I, I don't know if I have any more to say about that, but I guess just I, I was going to, my last thing I was going to talk about was other things that you can do right now. And we were just at the medicine wheel, um, the Bighorn Medicine Wheel in the Bighorn Mountains of uh, northern Wyoming. And Gumby did this really beautiful, like, at each direction, you made a promise, like, to to do better, to try to fight for the earth and all of its beings and um, and try to make pledge, make a pledge to not feed this monster of our society anymore. And I guess what I had in mind when I wrote, like, what you can do right now isn't necessarily a changing the world thing, but I think it could change the world. Look at things differently. Like, if you're going to go to the grocery store, all right, we're not changing a behavior so much, but if you have the option to buy something that's not in a plastic packaging, buy that, not in a plastic packaging. If you can turn down the plastic straws or bags or spoons whenever you can, do that. Instead of buying people things that they really don't want anyway, you're wasting your money. There are resources that are going to be just tossed in the garbage, plastic wrapping, styrofoam, etc. Maybe think about giving that person an experience. Maybe cook them a dinner or like go for a hike or, or just, I don't know, have some quality time together that doesn't involve a thing that you buy. Um, and if I, I mentioned this in the first podcast about upcycling, if you have stuff in your house, if you're a hoarder, first step is admitting it. Um, and then what are you going to do about it? So Gumby, I think in a minim, in the minimalism podcast, he talked about like making different piles of stuff. And if you're like me and you have this pile of stuff and you're like, but I really don't want to just throw it out. Look, there are places that you can put this stuff. Um, if you have access and are able to take pictures of some of this stuff, there was this lady in Maine that said she had inherited things from her grandfather, I think, and he was in the military and she just didn't know what to do with all this stuff. So I said, well, you know, aside from Craigslist, you could also put it on the websites like offerup.com or letgo.com. Um, those type of websites. Similarly, you post a picture and people from all over, if they really want it, they'll find it and you might even be able to make some money off of it. But if you just don't want to throw it out, like there's another way to do it. Um, I mentioned with like what, what you can do with cassette tapes. I'm not going to give you some lame project, but maybe in your area or some way, somewhere nearby, um, there might be a place where artists go to get their supplies for really cheap. And when I say supplies, I don't necessarily mean paint. I mean things that they build stuff with. So a uh, really interesting modern whatever sculpture. It might include some of your stuff. So maybe look that up if, you, if you're really having trouble parting with something. Um, I've seen really random garbage show up on eBay, like a lot of 100 cassette tapes. You know, you could sell it for $10 or whatever plus shipping. Because somewhere in the world... Somebody's going to need cassette tapes. Don't ask me why. That's just how it is. Um, So those are maybe just a few ideas. You're not necessarily going to change the world, but you might start to change your behavior and how your mindset of how you look at the world. And I feel like that's an important step to not gloss over when we're, we're trying to escape from society is changing that mindset of how we look at society. Yep. So if you have any questions or comments, please contact us. Our website is www.escapingsociety, all lowercase one word, dot weebly, B as in boycott buying brand new bullshit, <laughs> dot com. And uh, I'll leave you with a question. How do you keep an American in suspense? Well, we'll tell you next week. Uh, bye. Thanks. Bye.